When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Hi, welcome to another film study. This is Ken McCusick. I'm here today with Caleb Wharton, and we're going to talk a little bit about J.K. Dobbins, Ravens' 55th overall draft pick in the 2020 draft. How you doing, Caleb? I, I'm doing about as well as I can be. Looking forward to this. Thanks for her asking me back. Yeah, well, it's always a pleasure, my friend. And uh, the materials I got from you would indicate that you've come extremely well prepared for this. And I'm very much interested in the dialogue. A lot of the points you made very interesting, worthy of discussion. I hope people enjoy this. So I want to let you frame this up in a way you would like. So we want to talk about Dobbins and some of the issues with drafting a running back 55th, which the Ravens haven't drafted anyone 
as high since Ray Rice in 2008. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, and I'll say this, you know, uh, this was a shocking pick to me, and I think to a lot of people. Um, I was talking, talking to Michael Crawford, and he was describing the reactions that you guys were getting on your, your chat room when this pick came in. And uh, I'll admit, I didn't know very much about Dobbins when the pick happened. You know, I, I'll admit, I, I was more open to a running back than I think a lot of Ravens fans were. I was a Clyde Edward Hilaire fan. Uh, obviously, he went even higher. But once the pick came in, I was like, all right, I have to know this guy as much as I can. And also, I have to explain to myself why now, after 12 years, when the running back position is arguably at the lowest value it has ever been in the history of the league, why did we pick him now? You know, do, what does that say about where we are at a team, as a team? and who he is as a player. Uh, so I'm hoping that's what we can kind of get nailed down uh, here today. Okay. So it's it, it certainly, uh, there have been running backs drafted in recent years who have been at the top of the first round. They've generally been fairly successful picks with players like uh, Barkley would be a, a recent one. Of course, another big one who was not as successful, Leonard Fournette, uh, is uh, going to be declined his fifth-year option, I believe, by the Jags. It just happened in the last few days. That's correct. Well, I'd say there are uh, sort of two zones for running backs, and usually I think there's a different intent uh, between them. So the first one, as you said, is top to the middle of the, of the first, and we're talking the Saquon Barkleys, the Christian McCaffreys, the— um, Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson, if you want to go back a little further. And, but there's a danger to going back because the past is a different country, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the valuation was very, very different, even 12 years ago with Ray Rice, let alone as far back as Peterson goes. So there's that, that zone. And I think what teams intend when they take players there is they're like, this guy is a generational talent. He will be our next Adrian Peterson. We'll get two and a half contracts out of him. And he'll be, you know, yeah. I, 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 and that's kind of my reaction, too, that, that that's taking unnecessary risk there. Whereas I'd say in, in the second period, which is the end of the first round, but especially the beginning to the middle of the second, uh, that I think is where the, the, the older, wiser teams are taking their high-end running backs, you know, their presumptive starters now. And in fact, if you're looking across our division, I mean, you're seeing Nick Chubb at pick 35, just outside the first round, Joe Mixon at pick 48, Le'Veon Bell also pick 48. These are relatively recent high-end running backs, which were taken in the beginning of the second round, compared, and, the, and I have lots more examples um, to go with that if we needed to. Uh, but so, so in the grand scheme of things, if you're going to pick a high-end starting running back, the second round appears to be the sort of the, the, the crowdsourced place to do it. But as we kind of touched on before, it's about that second contract. Right. I mean, let's let's get to the second contract point, And then I want to give Dobbins his due and really go through his individual accomplishments and whatnot in some degree and how he fits in the NFL. But with, this, with regard to the second contract, this is true of all NFL players is you get your draft value primarily from the first contract. It's a rare set of players and it's usually first round picks a little bit more in the second round where you get some additional market friction value to what's going on in that second contract. But basically, once you have to start paying a player market value, they're not worth it anymore. And and it's just, you know, or you're paying full value for them is maybe a better way to say it. So you're not beating the cap as you need to with your, your players on their rookie deals. I, when I separate the roster into five categories, I separate them into the guys who are beating your contract on your rookie deal. Those are, old. Those are the ones you really need to need to stock up on. So, you know, I look at Dobbins as a one-contract player, probably with the Ravens. I don't have any problem with that being the case. I, I, Hayden Hurst was that, and he was a first-round pick. I wasn't okay with that because he was he was taken with for a lot more draft capital. But with Dobbins, taken at 55, it's it was 20% of their draft capital plus this season, if you look at J.J. points, but I don't have a problem with him being a one-contract player. What's your position on that? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a world where uh, everything breaks right in terms of market factors and leverage, and we are able to offer him a second contract. But a lot of that's up to Dobbins himself and, and what he's asking for and how hard he's willing to work free agency and, and what that situation is. But, you know, the team should operate under the assumption that that isn't going to happen. And, and I think that's very similar to how colleges see running backs nowadays. Uh, where there's a lot of incentive to put a heavy workload on an individual player because at best you got him three years. Right. Right. And Dobbins, Dobbins yeah. has certainly had a very heavy workload in college. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you, you and I were talking about there are some extreme extremes. Uh, in, in fact, one of his fellow second round running backs uh, got substantially more. But yeah, he, he was unquestionably the lead back at, at Ohio State and he, he was a workhorse for them for many years. So it roughly 730 college carries to go with about another 80, 70 college receptions on top of that. I mean, that is a lot of touches, a lot of hits he's taken over the course of his career. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll throw out, you know, the, the, the person who I love to, to, to listen to and read, you know, Matthew Waldman of the rookie scouting portfolio, the, the most knowledgeable running back evaluator that I know He's kind of skeptical of the touches argument. For him, touches only matter if they go along, in, in college at least, if they go along with corresponding injury. And for the most part, you know, the the uh, the ankle injury in the, the most recent bowl game notwithstanding, he's re- remained relatively injury free. So, you know, uh, you could go either way. But for a player with the number of touches he has, he's, a, he's about as good a bill of health as one could expect. Okay, um, what would you like to talk about next in terms of of elements of of Dobbins that are that are worth discussing? So I, I think the, the second contract we we're both in agreement that we need the Ravens need to get the value on this first contract. Absolutely, you know, and and I think the Ravens were thinking about that when they chose Dobbins, and and I think that's how we as fans should think of second round running backs. They're players who either do through just, you know, incredible athleticism or or good scheme matchup or both in Dobbins's case, you know, the, the team expects to make a very strong contribution right away. And I think that's true of Dobbins because he came from a college offense not terribly dissimilar, at least from a schematic perspective. You know, it was primarily a shotgun offense. Uh, several of his years at Ohio State, he had uh, his quarterback Fields, who was a dual threat quarterback, who also had designed QB runs. A lot of the movement in the backfield and, and getting out of the way of the quarterback, uh, those are things he's accustomed to doing. And, and I think that's worth throwing out that, you know, now we've got the Kyler Murrays, we've got the the uh, Lamar Jacksons, we've got so many of these players who are coming in and to make things easier on them, teams are going to a primarily shotgun based or, or pistol in our case offense. And I think uh, that's probably only going to happen more and more because you've got running backs who are accustomed to those types of offenses, too. It just makes everything easier from a from a getting your rookies to hit the ground running kind of perspective. Well, I, I think we've, we had a little bit of discussion about this before the show. And, and Dobbins is a player who comes from, yes, an offense that, that has, uh, you know, certainly had some run pass option mechanics to it and had a running quarterback where there uh, at times were, was a mesh point involved. Uh, you know, the pistol, obviously, there's a mesh point on a lot of plays and probably more a higher percentage of plays than that were at Ohio State. But more importantly, how the Ravens run their mesh point, how Jackson needs it to operate, is more of waiting for that edge player to get on the wrong foot than waiting for a specific amount of delay time to allow kind of the blocking to develop, which is one part of it, certainly. You know, that's what we're used to from seeing from very patient running backs like Le'Veon Bell and whatnot, not, not necessarily out of a mesh point, but just is waiting for blocking to develop, and that has certainly has value. But the value that the Ravens get dramatically at a higher level with Jackson, you know, at a record-setting level, is that Jackson reads leverage better on that edge defender than any player in the history of the game. And, and he, he does not have Vic's speed. He's, he's a notch below Vic in terms of speed. In fact, he doesn't really run away from defensive backs in level three 
when he gets there. But what he does have is an unbelievable ability to use it to read that leverage. It's, it, it not only freezes that edge defender, it just it, Jackson's just waiting for not that he'll make a mistake, to time that mistake perfectly as it will occur, pull the ball and go. Yeah, and I think uh, at its essence, that's what an RPO is. It's it's making whatever decision the defender chooses to make wrong. Um, and, 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 you know, it's very dangerous talking about Lamar Jackson's running because it will de- derail whatever other discussion that you, you try to That's have. Right. That's fair um, enough. <laughs> Subtle difference, though. But, let, me, let me make sure I'm, I'm getting this point across, Caleb, is that, is that yes. the difference in RPO, for sure, you're looking to make the defender wrong. But there's an element of guessing to it that is, that, that is difficult. You're trying to read that defender. You're trying to make sure he's going one way or the other way. And, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you know, sometimes you don't. Jackson can make the defender wrong, not just by guessing correctly, but by waiting for that point of leverage in his feet that he reads so well that he can take that point. So it's, 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 he just has to wait for the maximum point of error, and it's enough for him to get a, to, to, to get a run. In fact, Cosell has normally said that a lot of uh, Jackson's runs are really designed runs for Jackson anyway. I don't necessarily disagree with that, is that he's already decided he's going to run. He's just waiting for that optimal point to to yank and go and 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 i think uh you know skipping a little bit ahead but i think this is is in keeping with what i want to talk about i think that is one of the reasons why it is so important for us to have a a running game that is not just you know efficient but has big play potential independent of jackson Okay. Because one of the things that jumped out at me watching, you know, old Joe Flacco film his his first two or three years in the league, is how much Ray Rice was able to create on him on his own, pretty much independent of Flacco. I mean, nobody was afraid of Flacco as a running threat, even though he scrambled, you know, for for yards a surprising amount his first year or so, um, and. It, that was almost novel because you know I'm so used to seeing Lamar Jackson and 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 the the running threat that he provides. I I want the the defense to be just as afraid of Dobbins coming up the inside as Lamar Jackson going up the outside. And I think one of the things, the biggest things that differentiates Dobbins from any other back on our roster is he is both an effective inside runner. I would say he, is, from a vision perspective, he's, yep. he's very much in the vein of Ingram, but he has breakaway speed. You know, uh, we sort of have to infer his his 40 time, you know, from a, a, an old high school time, you know, but but. Uh, one thing that uh, a couple people on Twitter brought to my attention, he was over 200 pounds when he wrote, ran that 445. So he was roughly the same weight that he is now running that in high school. So I don't think it's unreasonable to call him a 445 guy today. And let's compare that to Ingram, who on the day of his combine at a roughly the same weight ran a 46. Or, or Ray Rice at uh, 195 more than 10 pounds lighter uh, ran the same time. Okay, so, so those, uh, are, those are combine times, which are going to be more consistently measured than a high school, quote unquote, pro day or college day or whatever you have. So I, 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 I'm, I, I don't doubt for a second that Dobbins at this point is probably a little faster than either Rice or Ingram. So yes. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm certainly good with that notion. I think that what, where Ingram has made a lot of strides is in is in breaking tackles in level two and three, which was he was outstanding at last year. And I, you know, there's a, some question in my mind. Dobbins has to do it with vision, with speed, and with power, and and that's where the broken tackles are really going to be an issue. I think at the next level, he, he play, played with tremendous amount of um, gap space at Ohio State. I mean, just unbelievable amounts. If you look at his his spread of how he ran. By gap, it's just it's very consistent. All you know, six seven yards per carry kind of thing. Uh, he's going to have to do more at the NFL level. So, get- so I meant yeah, yeah, to, to your point. You know, I, I I mentioned Matthew Waldman. He did a great piece, probably the single best video piece that you you'll find out there for Dobbins. I encourage everyone to look it up, uh, where he was evaluating uh, the Ohio State TCU game in 2018. 
And one of the things he was, there's two things that he was really harping on for Dobbins. And one, his ability to make very small decisions and cuts at all stages of the run before he goes through the hole while he's on the other side of the hole and also his ability to maintain possession of football in all situations. He was showing a couple of runs where he bounced off of two, three, four different defenders. He was executing spin moves. He was executing um, stiff arms and through all of it. And this was, this was something, you know, Matt's seen a million uh, 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 running backs over the years. The ability, uh, his ability to keep the ball high and tight while he was doing all of those different movements, while his body as was at, at, at odd angles, while he wasn't necessarily over his feet in terms of his weight, is, is really impressive. And I think for our offense, which is the ultimate you know, squeeze all the variation out of the outcomes of your plays, you know, get consistent yardage every single play and maintain, above all, maintain possession of the ball. I think his strengths line up perfectly with us in that in that vein. And, and, and I think you're absolutely right. He's going to have to break tackles. He's not going to have optimal situations. But at least based on that game and that film evaluation, I think he, he's very much in the same vein as Ingram. Okay, uh, fair enough. I mean, he did have 1,200 yards after contact last year, which is an amazing, o- amazing over four yards per play. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's according to PFF. But uh, that's a, that's that's certainly, you know, the Ravens are going to give him, I think, more level two and level three opportunities for first contact than any other NFL team would get him. Not because their offensive line is the best, but because of Jackson. Yeah. And. That he should be able to break a consistent level of tackles at the at the NFL level, even though those players are a little better, um, just because it's going to be more often in level two or level three. Let's yeah, let's move I, on other. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I, 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 we can keep moving. Uh, what's it, what? what J- Dobbins is a receiver. Would you like to talk about him or? Well, and, and yes, I'll, I'll I'll sort of go from receivers and, and generalize there. You know, we have and had a, a very effective running back committee. And, and one of the questions I think anyone could reasonably ask is, you have all these players who are dirt cheap and you, you know, you, who can do individual things. Um, what does Dobbins bring to the table other than maybe a little higher end skill in specific places? And I think one of the things that Dobbins brings that only Ingram is, is really competition for him is that he is able to do with the perhaps the sole exception of pass blocking where you know every college running back needs to improve on pass blocking when they come to the nfl that that, that's pretty much a given um but other than that uh he can run inside he can run outside i'd say uh, he can catch passes in a variety of positions you'd I, i think you'd mentioned he had very significant pass catching volume uh, and for most of the most of the offensive plays that he can be involved in, he is a breakaway threat every time he touches the ball. And I think for a, a, a team like us where and I, I think most really good teams do this. I know Reed's offenses are famous for this. We try to run as much as we can out of the smallest number of formations and packages. And by packages, I mean, you know, the, the, the set of personnel on the field and uh I think minimizing that has a couple of different benefits. I mean, it, it, it reduces the number of tells the defense has to work with. It forces them to prepare for more eventualities every time that, you know, we're, we're about to run a play. And also, I think it opens up the no huddle a little bit more because you're, you're not moving players on off the field. And I think that's one of the biggest benefits a player like Dobbins gives you the ability to do anything you would do with a running back in the backfield on any given play. And Um, he also had a significant, he had a significant number of not in the backfield snaps in college as well. He was, he was split wide a lot. I I would, um, the, the, the Ravens offense has not, I don't think operated in the way you just said. And I, I wasn't sure if you're making that point that, it would be better because Dobbins can do this, but the Ravens' offense very substitution based, maybe more than any other NFL team. 
because they, mm. they rotate players in play after play after play. They don't really run the no huddle at all. Um, but they, but you know, you just the differences of, of Boyle and all of the different tight end snaps and how they were divided out last year. They're extremely substitution based as, as an offense. So I think that Dobbins gives them part of that. I mean, keeping fresh players on the field at all times is very Raven-esque in terms of the offense. The only guy they rely on is, is number eight to be out there on every play to, to, uh, to drive that thing. It's incredible that one guy could do it all and everybody else is just really a bit player around him. I, and, and, you know, when you have a star quarterback, that, that's kind of how it goes. But, but you, you know, you, I, 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 I guess I was speaking more formations, and, and I see what you mean about the packages and the personnel substitution. But I'll also say, you know, what our weaknesses and what we kind of live in dread of up to this point are situations where we do have to hit the gas pedal. You know, and, and we do have to be able to run lots of plays really fast with potentially minimal substitutions involved. Uh, and you mentioned also Dobbins split out wide. And, and I think uh, between him and DuVernay, they are, I hope, this, this is, you know, I can't say this for sure, but I certainly hope it's the case. There is going to be a concerted effort to build more of a screen game. And I know the Ravens have been saying that forever. Uh, but, you know, up until this point, our two primary screen receivers were Ingram and Brown, with maybe a little bit of Hill in there. In Ingram's case, he doesn't have much in the way of breakaway speed. You know, he'll break a tackle or two. He'll get hit somewhere along the high, the, the sideline. Uh, Brown is the opposite. He, he won't do any contact at all. So he basically gets until a, a player gets within tackling distance and then goes down. Um, I think day one, DuVernay and Dobbins are better outside screen options than anything we had on the team up to this point. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, the non-traditional options have been pretty good. I mean, when they've, when they've run you know, some flat routes with the tight ends. And, and the other thing, the other one that's really been terrific and not really thought of too much is, is what they've done with Ricard. I wish they'd develop him more as a receiver of that type because he's, he's a, getting, getting speed anywhere on the field is great. Getting power on the outside is fantastic. I mean, just, it it really creates a a mismatch that just will make the opposing DC scratch their heads. But I agree that, that DuVernay anywhere on the field, getting him anywhere on the field with the football presents a very exciting option for the Ravens because I think it'll improve the value of their motion game. Their motion game is very much uh, based on big men, more than the smaller guys. And I think you learn less about how the opposing defense is going to defend against the pass when you put a large man in motion than if you put a smaller man in motion. Uh, well, and I, and I think uh, I, I expect Jackson to take uh, a step forward in terms of the deep part of his game. I, I think that uh, he's, a, he's a relatively conservative passer who needs to build confidence over time in his receivers and in his play calling. He's not going to risk the ball to push it downfield, you know, as much as maybe some other quarterbacks uh, like your, your, your Watsons and, and your Mahomes are going to do. But what, you know, every offense needs to find ways to decompress the defense. And, and our, we, we have an offense that kind of naturally compresses the defense against the line of scrimmage and in the middle of the field. I think as the more options we have that force the offense to spread itself out horizontally, the better off we'll be. I uh, completely I, agree. Yeah. Uh, and I think having yak threats receive the ball on the outside, be that uh, DuVernay, be that Dobbins or, or the fullback. I, I, I think those are all definitely good things. Yeah. I, I, no one, no one disagreeing on that. I don't think. And, and I think what the, the, the DuVernay and, and Prochet picks are both, you know, an attempt to get more of that. But the, but the disconcerting thing is the stable of slot ponies is now very large and the stable of outside threats isn't any bigger from this draft that they don't really have, you know, another big outside receiver uh, that's going to improve Jackson's trust outside the numbers. So, so not to not not to divert you know the discussion too much. You know, I I have a feeling they expect Duvernay to be able to operate to some degree on the outside. 
you know, uh, up to last year, he spent a lot of time on the outside. So he's operated them there before. He hasn't been – now, granted, his best production has been from the slot. But, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I agree with you that if we make every – you know, if we make him do exactly what he was best at in college, then, yeah, we, we've got a glut of options in the slot and need to figure something else out. But uh, I actually didn't know Dobbins had been uh, – had been lined up out wide. And that's actually, that's a very good sign uh, because I, I think more college offenses are using running backs in the running game, in the passing game, if only because uh, the passing game is, you know, opening up. And also I think to some degree, because a running back with pro aspirations, that's something you have to put on tape in this mm-hmm. day and age, if you want to go high. And I don't think Dobbins is any exception in that regard. In regard. You know, one thing I'll throw out to you is um, I I think it's reasonable to, especially early in the year, as the offensive line is coming together, to expect a significant regression for our offensive line from a run blocking perspective, particularly with of all of the movement that's going to happen in the inside of the offensive line and just you know the the loss of Yonda. You know, do you think that? Uh, going from sort of uh, going for special in the running back area is going to be one way that the Ravens can kind of ameliorate their losses there. No, I don't, I don't think one necessarily fixes the other. And I'd be more concerned that um, I'm more concerned about now, how do they handle the pivot on the power run? You know, without Yonda, do they, have they found the guy who can create the torque in that defensive tackle, who can regularly get the hand placement he needs? You know, the, the, all the guys they drafted, both the guys they drafted, are a year away, in my opinion. Bredesen seems to be a very smart player who I think they'll eventually try and move to center. Phillips, uh, he's a project guard. What I liked about what I saw from him at tackle was that he had the long lockout arms, which provided with, you know, combined with upper body strength, would be a guy who could create torque more naturally than Yanda did, even though Yanda was very good at it. Yanda wasn't a natural lineman in a lot of ways. He he was made do with shorter arms, and you know, I would see him as the guy they likely want to move to right guard. I don't think they have any in, interest in him playing tackle at the NFL level. His feet are very slow, but I think it's those lockout arms that that, that made him a third round pick. And they, they, uh, they, you know, they really believe that he's going to be the guy who can torque and take over at right guard. But right now, I think the position is Ben Powers, and, and I think he'll start the year there. He has the practice incumbency. Um, there are lots of problems across this line. Getting Skura back would be a big help. Uh, you know, Bozeman replicating a season from last year would be good, but it would be even better if he'd even advance some. So I think there, there's lots of things to, to to look at on that interior. Yeah, and and. I'll- I'll sort of counter that point. Now, you know, one of the the linchpins of the running backs don't matter discussion is that offensive line play drives running back play to a very significant degree. And and the math bears that out. Uh, What I will also say, though, is in sort of the deep film analysis, and there's another great piece that Matthew Waldman did about Nick Chubb looking at Nick Chubb against seven-man boxes. So this is the worst possible situation for a running play to happen you know they know it's coming they're prepared for it they're dedicating it you know as much resources as a, as a defense is typically willing to dedicate to stopping the run but it shows when you have a running back who is capable of seeing the entire field and imagining the next couple of steps of how the blocking is going to unfold what the running back can do to help the offensive lineman in the sense of set up the offensive lineman to the point where the defender has to go directly through the offensive lineman to interfere with the running play. So, you know, I'll say Dobbins can't hurt. Uh, I would also I would also argue that if he has the kind of vision that some of the draft evaluators think he has, uh, I think he might even have a chance to make these inexperienced uh, inexperienced in interior offensive linemen uh, a little better than they actually are. So you know, that's sure. more of an aspirational statement, but <laughs> that, that can't hurt. But, you know, we all know who's really driving, making this offensive line better than it is. 
I mean, there's only one guy, and and he he completely drives what's done, and and you see it more at the tackle positions even than on the inside. Although it's happening on the inside as well, but it's very apparent. A player like Brown is driving tremendous value from the from what Jackson offers in terms of the read option to the right side because he makes a simpler down block instead of blocking that end harder block, gets the level two, makes a fairly easy hit on the scraping linebacker. If I go to the left side. Stanley has the excellent feet to stay between him and the pass blocker, but Stanley's low pressure number assigned by PFF, first of all, it's BS because I'm counting way more pressures than what what they're counting. And part of the problem is they're not counting partial pressures. But even so, fantastic year for not allowing pressure. And what's what's driving that is his ability to stay between Jackson and the and the um, uh Defender, which is, of course, that's that's his good part. He's adding to it, but also Jackson's ability to work with that pressure coming as Stanley gives ground in the pocket. He's able to move around in that pocket, move forward, move to the right as needed, and also to uh, squirt out to the left, where a lot of his runs came uh, this last year. It was a lot of his runs were were looping around Stanley to that side. So, uh, you know, he saved Stanley a fair number of pressures this year. Uh, so it's not just Tunsil that's screwing the Ravens in terms of Stanley's salary. It's also Jackson. Fair enough. Uh, and that was something we talked about a little bit earlier in the in the pre-production meeting that I, I, I and I think we mentioned it at the very beginning also that uh, for run, I think running backs are going through a salary adjustment right now. I think a lot of teams are questioning the second contract investment, particularly for running backs that go in the range that we just took Dobbins. I think the canary in the coal mine was definitely Gordon and the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that turned into a high stake game of chicken and the running back lost. And, and, and I think we're going to be seeing more stories like that going forward. Personally, whatever that adjustment is, I hope it happens before the, you know, Dobbins comes up time for a contract. But I, I think the Ravens and the fans need to be prepared for the possibility that we, he, he gave us the benefit that he could give in the four years he had. Uh, and, you know, there's no expectation that we're going to bring him back at that point. You know, he okay. might, he's probably worth, worth more to some other team. Okay, I'm going to take the counterpoint argument on that. So I'll start with Jane, you ignorant slut, and, and say that uh, this is a case where if there's an inefficiency in the market, it's a good mm. thing for the Ravens because they understand it and won't make the mistake. So I don't really care. If the, if the market stays tremendously inefficient for second contract running backs, and I hope it does because other teams mm. are going to be the ones making that mistake, that's Higher fine. Pump, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it will get a higher comp pick. Dobbins will walk. The Ravens will start over, get another player, and it won't be an issue at all. Dobbins will get a good contract wherever he plays his next deal. And and we should the Ravens should celebrate that inefficiency in the market the way good blackjack counters celebrate the fact that there are bad blackjack players at the table because they're the ones who make the game possible. Uh, and 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 talking about Dobbins and also talking about the running back position and this specific part of the draft. It is incredibly consistent that running backs in this part of the draft do well. The, there are only a handful of busts for the dozen or so players that have come out in the last you know, five years in this region of the draft. The overwhelming majority have gone on to be high quality you know, lead backs, either like carrying the load or as part of a committee, which Dobbins probably will be because we are just a dedicated committee team. Uh, which also means that Dobbin probably won't be amazing in fantasy, mostly because he's, you know, he's going to be part of this rotation. But, uh, you know, the fact that you can get them so consistently is a big part of the reason, I think, that uh, they're not going to get big second contracts and that they are devalued because they can be replaced at will. And also, you know, not to mention you can do what the Ravens also have done since Rice moved on and cobble them together from groups of almost, you know, free players in in later rounds. So uh, it's going to be exciting. Uh, I'm not happy about the fact that running backs are devalued in the way that they are and that the position makes it difficult for them to provide the same level of value in their second contract. But I think as fans, we have to prepare ourselves for that and we have to enjoy them while they're with us. That's <laughs> what right. it comes down to. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it, it, 
it is just what it is. I mean, it's driven by a very large size and shape pool. So, the, so the, you know, a typical running back, a prototypical running back is maybe 6'0", 225. And there's just a hell of a lot more of those guys that are great athletes than there are, you know, 6'40", 220 wide receivers or 6'8", 320 left tackles or all of the more difficult to attain size and shape positions that, that you have to have. So, you know, it's, it's a natural position. People are attracted to ball carrying at a young age. And there's a very wide group of people who can do it. It's just only very natural that those people are competing for fewer jobs. Well, and it's worth throwing out, too, that uh, like virtually every other position on the field that involves kind of movement in the open field, I, I think you could make a strong argument that running backs are getting smaller in the sense of, you know, it was remarkable that Ray Rice was a mere 200, 205, 209 pounds when he came back out 12 years ago. When you look at the top four backs uh, in this year's class, they're all right around Dobbins's size. Only one of them is over 220. Mm. Uh, and, and that's probably one of the reasons why Taylor went as high as he did despite the fumbles and despite the massive college workload that he was the only back with the kind of same kind of production as the others who was in that magic bell cow 230, 240 range. So uh, I think uh, I think that running backs are getting smaller and that's probably going to become even more drastic as running backs see that their only hope of getting, you know, paydays and second contracts is participating more in the passing game. Passing game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. I, and it's one of the things I've really liked about the Ravens going the other direction is that they've been so able to um, pick and substitute by style of back that they've been, you know, the Gus Edwards is a very typical large back, but he's not, he's not, it's not difficult to find other guys like Gus Edwards. So if they, if, if they do lose him at, at whatever point, they should be able to go ahead and, and reach down to the stable and find another player. They've been very good dealing with injuries because they, they treat those guys as more stylistic choices and they have backups on the practice squad. So they've been constantly going through their practice squad guys and getting effective play out of a lot of them. Anyway, I, I'm uh, I'm in agreement though. The running backs will, will probably want to focus more on the passing game going forward, and and it, it wouldn't be surprising even to see that be the new type of um, outburst you see as a running back not being involved in the passing game gets very upset about. Yeah, and and I think we're seeing that. I mean, this this year is is uh, the Clyde Edwards-Helaire might have been the canary in the coal mine. The first pl- uh, the first running back to go is emphatically not the best runner of the top four. Far from it. Arguably the 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 worst in, you know inside runner, traditional running back runner of the 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 four top options. But he went because a team took a look at his ability as a slot receiver and says. I mean, we might use him more as a really big slot than we do a running back. Uh, and so you're absolutely right. I, I think you're going to see players. That's going to be the new archetype that a lot of these really good athletes are going to be aiming towards when they go into college. So uh, to kind of finish up, I, I want to sort of set a set of expectations that I think are reasonable for uh, Dobbins in the coming year. And I think running backs being what they are and the schematic fit of Dobbins being as good as it is, I, I would expect play time from day one at a minimum. You know, and I would say that if Dobbins is not the sort of the dominant member of our rotation, possibly very dominant, uh, to the point where he may be getting large sections of games if he's the hot hand, then something's wrong. You know, if we've only got four years of him, he needs to contribute from day one. And I think that's a reasonable expectation. I, uh, I, I will mute that slightly. I'm, I'm good. I, I, I think that's absolutely true. If you look back at Ray Rice's rookie year, it did take him time to, to take over that lead back role. He really got it in 2009 thoroughly. Now, they had Willis McGay. He was a pro, whole, pro bowl running back in 2007. And that led the AFC in rushing. But anyway, he was close. Um, in, in 2007. And, you know, it, it just wasn't automatic and immediate. Throw in the coronavirus and the inability to work with these guys immediately in the preseason this year. And I think we will see an increased number of snaps as the season goes along, much as we did from Jamal Lewis in 2000. Of course, Jamal Lewis in oh, yeah. 2000 did become the dominant back that year. 
so so I, I, I you know mute what you feel the need to mute but uh i one i don't think he's going to get it right away two i think coming from osu to the ravens there is more schematic similarity than rutgers to you know to the ravens in 2008 you know um i don't know i, I may be wrong but uh, I, I think I'm going to stick with that. I, I do think he's going to be a major component, if not the dominant contributor in the running back rotation. I'll, I'll die on that hill. Okay. <laughs> you, so you'll say he gets the most carries this year of any running back. I think so, uh, okay. which may not be saying much. It may be close to a, you know, 20, 20, you know, 25, 25, 25, 25 split. We may have four running backs. Right. I don't see Hill getting as much playing time with Dobbins here, but, uh, you know, barring injury, of course, and who wants to think about that? But, yeah, I, w- I would agree. I think Dobbins is, would probably be where I'd put the money in terms of him being the most likely to get the most carries. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, Final points here. Anything else you'd like to say about Dobbins before we have to uh, get going here? Well, I I think Dobbins is a very interesting player, uh, although it's funny because it happened twice in one draft in that when you look at he surprised us as fans. I think he surprised the team as well. When you look at the commentary that the, 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 the team gave, this was not something they were expecting. It was something they had to adjust to on the fly. And uh, it's it's very interesting, you know, that for such a long time, other teams must have uh, valued running backs more and differently than we have. And for whatever reason, this year, a couple players fell to us where we're like, these players have no no reason to be in our drafting range. We have no choice but to take them and kind of work around whatever our remaining needs are later. Uh It'll be interesting to see if that's an artifact of this particular draft and all of the confusion involved, or if there is some divergence between the valuation of that the Ravens have for players and the rest of the league. Well, that's, you know, this is another point where the Ravens have feasted off the inefficiency in the draft process of other teams. And obviously, you know, everybody knows the Ravens have had generally very good drafts under both Newsom and DaCosta, but you know, overvaluing running backs and potentially inside linebackers is something that other teams did and the Ravens did not do over time. Ravens found all kinds of value at the inside linebacker position in the undrafted players and later rounds, mostly in undrafted players. They found running backs the same way without finding needs. They find a dime back anytime they need one in round six. It's the automatic price that Ozzie Newsom would, would always pay for the, for the next dime back. And they ended up getting their signal caller in the sixth round by that process. My point is that that Dobbins falling to 55 and the Ravens suddenly drafting two inside linebackers and a running back with 68% of their total draft capital this year is actually a remarkable set of events that maybe it's a correction. I think more likely it's a um, it's possible that the Ravens, in particularly the inside linebacker spot, may have done some things that are were more need based this year than they had been in previous years, as opposed to being value-based. Fair enough. Uh, we shall see, I think. And that, that's, that's the fun part with the draft, that we can theorize all we want at this conjecture, and, and hopefully we'll get to see it bear out on the field. Okay, outstanding. Caleb, we loved having you here, and, and always interesting discussion with you. I want to talk a little bit about what Caleb did for us, because I think people ought to be in contact with him about one specific thing. Um, last year, we had an analytics conference. Caleb came, and he, and he did the presentation on scraping. So what scraping is, is is you're taking data off commonly available websites. Oftentimes the, the Carnegie Mellon data is, is one like gold standard of football data that's available. And it allows you to basically populate the information you need in, in for analytics purposes and then allow you to do the gold, which is to add your own layering of information on top of that. So you as, as quickly as possible, you kind of acu- scrape to get the framework data you need and then you, you you add to that your own evaluations and your own uh you know commentary and notes and whatever it might be uh, on a play-by-play basis and, and so if you have scraping questions i'd encourage you to contact caleb that's okay right because <laughs> yeah. we've, we've already put this in the episode we would have to edit out but um and and your your uh twitter handle um so my twitter handle i actually have to look it up i don't look at, it at, at all at maze of the mind i think is right 
Okay, then, then yeah. that's probably correct. Uh, yeah, and, and to your point about the scraping, I, I getting playbook, play-by-play data is like the one richest data set that we as fans have access to. And as you said, you know, we can do our own hand charting and get data from other sources as well. But if you're trying to develop tr- novel analytics, uh, having access to play-by-play data, which the NFL publishes through vectors, various forms, uh, and also college, because that, that was one of the, the scraper I was building was for college plays. Uh, that's a great place to start. All right. Well, Caleb, thanks for joining us. Any other place where you've got work that you want to point out that uh, you want to talk about here? Not this time. All right. Outstanding. Other folks listening, if you'd like to do a short, we'd love to have you on. Uh, give me give me a contact on Twitter. We'll talk about it. And we put these things together very quickly. And and uh, and, you know, not as much preparation is needed if you'd like to just discuss a topic or uh, talk about a philosophical talk topic in terms of football. But if you want to present something, we can do that as well. Thanks for joining us again, Caleb. Thanks for being on. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.